Hello, and welcome to Rightfully So, your podcast on all things writing, first year writing, college writing, university writing, and well, just 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 writing. Uh, we're back for the fourth season, uh, believe it or not. We're we're a little bit surprised here that um, you know we're sticking with it. We're we're back for a fourth season. Third season was a little bit short, man. Uh, things got busy for us. Um, but I feel like we're moving in a positive direction with this podcast. I hope people keep coming back and listening. Uh, it seems like the instructor focused uh, episodes are a big hit. Um, after we we did that one in season three, we, we started getting a lot more downloads. Um, people coming in and, and checking us out. So, you know, tell your friends, tell your teachers, uh, come come check us out. So for for this week's episode, uh, I thought we'd kick off the season talking about plagiarism and the ethical use of sources, because this is a question I hear from students pretty frequently. Um, you know, why? Why does it matter? Like, why does it matter that I use a scholarly source or a credible source? Why am I doing research at all? Right. In, in, a, in a, a culture, in, in an environment where we all have many computing devices in our pockets with an access to the store of all human knowledge, why does it why do I need to tell people where I found information and, and, and more importantly, why do I need to borrow those words and put them in my paper, especially if I can get in trouble for it, right? Why not just use my own language? And I think that's a fair question, right? Especially, and this will probably come up later in the episode, but especially in an age where we now have machine learning and AI-generated text, like, you know, what is it about authenticity? What is it about voice? What is it about credibility? Um, where do those things come from, right? And how does it sort of relate, relate to our readers and why is it important to us as writers? So I think I'll start with what may be the easier question first, uh, right up front, which is why have students do research papers and cite sources? And we'll sort of ignore like style at this point, because really that's a mechanic, right? Um, what's really more important is that, you know, they they cite their sources in using some style, whatever that may be. So um, opening it up to like uh, Carrie and Jeanette, like, why do we, why do we do this? Why do we have students research in site sources? I think I always bring it back to, um, because we talk so much about rhetoric with students and identifying, you know, the appeals in other articles. And, and so I kind of bring it back to establishing your own credibility in your own writing. So I say, how do, how do you establish that credibility, you know, your own ethos? And it's by showcasing that you are familiar with the discussions that are happening, that you're familiar with, you know, the information that's already out there. Because I always talk about how a lot of the published material, think of it as like a conversation with other experts with other people in the field. And so as you're talking, you know, it's not like you just jump straight into the conversation and say, here's what I think. And that's all. And then you leave the conversation, you know, you, you listen to what others say, you build off of their ideas. And so I think it's a matter of kind of establishing that you have, that you have done your own part in, in understanding what the current ideas are, what's the current discussion, updating yourself. And then when you insert your ideas, you're kind of saying, here's my contribution based off of what I understand where we are now. Um, that's at least my attempt. <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> I think part of it is that we're also looking at 
complex, we're asking students to look at complex issues, right? So um, we want them to look at a variety of sources. And ultimately, I think there are some things that even though students may not feel like they're capable of this, but they're able to come up with the solutions to these complex issues if they're able to wade through what's out there, what other, that conversation, right? And engage in it and understand, okay, here's here's the complexity, right? Like here's what this side feels, but yet there's this other detail. And then this is how we actually move towards working through something that is a problem, right? So I, for me, I try to have students do something research-wise that relates to an issue so that they can see all the dimension of something and go, oh, okay, so this is, there's a lot to this. And so you have to consult lots of different sources in order to do that. So Yeah, I like that idea of um, multiple per perspectives, right? Um, encouraging to get out there and engage with the conversations that are already happening around a particular topic. Um, I think, too, it's an opportunity for them to sort of step out of their com comfort zone and combat confirmation bias, which is so easy to fall into when you're doing anything on online anymore, right? Um, just about everything, including your your Google search result, results are driven by an algorithm that wants you to engage. And so it's always showing you the thing that you've already engaged with so that you'll stay engaged. Um, I joke with students, I'm like, yeah, you go to Amazon, you buy a toaster, and then the next website you go to wants to sell you a toaster, right? Like that's that's the advertising algorithm. Social media does the same thing. You know, you hit enough, you know, likes on on enough videos that are similar enough pretty soon that's all you're getting that's kind of how i figured out i might be adhd it's like you know i kept hitting the like button on all these videos about adhd and pretty soon it's like you know would you like us to call you a therapist because you probably <laughs> the algorithm has spoken right um so so yeah like doing the research is really about encouraging students and at least in some regard encouraging students to sort of expose themselves to maybe um counter opinions things that they're not comfortable with um and and credibility credibility i think is a, is a going to be a, a great spot for us to sort of transition into the idea of how do we use sources ethically and why it's important that we we cite them yeah borrow um citing other sources does make your writing look more credible because you can demonstrate number one that you've gone and, and you've done a wide variety of reading Right, especially you have a, a significant number of sources, so you've done a variety of reading within um, the the subject. Uh, it also shows that you are um, well enough versed in the subject to be sort of um, discriminating in your choices, right? Like choosing which texts either support your argument or that you can use as a way to sort of um, deconstruct or re sort of like provide a rebuttal to like maybe the opposing or counter argument. Uh, but it also shows that other people sort of think the same way that you do, right? Um, hey, I believe this is true. And here is a well-respected expert in the field who says essentially the same thing. So see, they support my argument. So that credibility is important, right? So what happens when you aren't citing your sources? What happens if you don't know who wrote your source? Um, what does that do to credibility? So I think this is a great jumping off point then, which is getting into 
um, how do we use our sources ethically? How do we ensure that we're not stealing someone's someone else's intellectual property or someone else's work? Listener, if you could see the faces that I'm looking at right now. <laughs> I, I feel like I, I can't answer the question. <laughs> it's like cited. Um, but it did make me think about the conversation I often have where sometimes when I encounter plagiarism, it is this moment of was this accidental or was this intentional? So maybe it's about intentionality, right? Like this idea that of awareness like oh i i do need to say where this idea came from and i think it gets this is what's hard is because and i have this conversation with students it's like okay so if you come to my office hours and we have a conversation and i you know we're going back and forth and i say i suggest i suggest well you know why don't you add this it's like is that plagiarism no, but how is that different from um, maybe reading lots of things online and then just not tracking it well? So I, I think it gets blurry and that's where it's hard because it's like, how do I, you know, if you haven't like tracked your, you know, this piece of information is exactly from this place, then it's easy to kind of be like, yeah, that was my idea, it, but maybe you read it somewhere else. And so then it's like, how do you, how, how, how do you be intentional or how do you be exact in the sort of like, it is this source? I don't know. Maybe that's too philosophical. No, I, 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 I think that's a, a valid concern. Um, I, I kind of chuckle too. And you're like, well, you just cite it because that's, that's kind of like my default answer it's like well what if i do i'm not sure i'm like when in doubt cite it but um that's while an easy answer i don't necessarily feel like it's a, a complete answer um and i'm aware there's things there's this thing called cryptomnesia and it's recalling something but not realizing that you're recalling it um so it's basically a memory that your brain thinks is a brand new thought and as an ADHD -er and a prolific reader, I worry about that. That is this my idea or did I read this somewhere five years ago? Especially because I'm so good at retaining information that I've read years in the past. Um, terrible with names and dates, anniversaries are programmed in the phone, but you know, I can remember passages of a William Gibson novel that I read 15 years ago. So that's a concern, right? And and how do I combat that? Number one, I make sure that there's a name attached to the source. Like, so when I take notes and I'm and I'm documenting, hey, I want to use this in my research and I want to use this in my final paper, that there's a name attached to it, right? So then I know I can go back and cite a source, um, and that helps differentiate differentiate someone else's ideas from my own, right? So it keeps it straight for me, and ultimately makes it easier to keep it straight in my writing, so that I know that I have to cite it. This is somebody else's idea. Um, it's a little wishy-washy when you go on the internet and you go to like about.com or you go to like BuzzFeed and you go to some of these commercial sites where they have just a bunch of people working in cubicles or working from home, cranking out articles with no bylines, right? So you don't know who wrote it. So then you start worrying about, well, if I can't cite it, is it 
common knowledge or how do I cite it or should I be citing it? Like if anyone can just find it on the internet, do what is it's common knowledge, right? Like, so it's this huge gray. So once you can't identify an author, there's this massive like gray area that surrounds that source. Not to mention the, the, the credibility piece. Is it even, is it even valid? Is it, is it sound? Is it credible? Is it truthful? Like there's a whole nother rabbit hole to go down to when you can't identify the author. Um, and sometimes authors will leave their names off of questionable things because they don't want to be given credit for something that maybe isn't entirely true. Um, and also when there's an unsourced, there's like always the potential of like unintentional plagiarism, meaning the thing that you're sort of borrowing from got their idea from somewhere else, so on and so forth. Um, so that's all of that's really challenging, right? So I feel like the way to combat all of that is does your source have an author? And then once your source has an author, it becomes so easy to cite it, right? It becomes really easy to be like, yes, this is someone else's words. I have a name that goes with those words, a name or names, right? That go with those words. And then I can use my Chicago APA, MLA, whatever, um, inside that in my paper. Um, and honestly, from a credibility standpoint, um, from the reader, that's so much more credible. Oh, this person got it from this person over here. And like, there's a name attached to it. I can see it on the works cited page. I can go look at that if I want to. I think part of the discussion too has to do with um, whether, you know, re recognizing that we are in recognizing that everything that we read, we are informed by. And so it's not necessarily a matter of, you know, did you steal that or did you take that idea and did it inform your own opinion or are you aiming to kind of regurgitate what it is that you read, you know? So I think that that's something that, that you can recognize too, is that there's, there's something about, you know, you've, you've read that and now it's going to maybe redirect your thought process and that's fine. Um, but then, then kind of thinking about how you could maybe recognize that if you are just repeating the idea, you know, then that's something that you want to, you want to recognize. So yeah, uh, synthesis, that was where I was originally going to go. The idea of synthesis. Um, I'm pretty sure we've got an episode planned to talk specifically about this in detail later, but you're right. Are you are you just regurgitating this information or are you trying to synthesize it with the stuff that you already know? Right. How does this. And to me, synthesis is a process of understanding how new information fits into the the knowledge base that you already have. In other words, does this reinforce your ideas and beliefs that you already hold? Does it does it change them in some way? Um, does it contradict them in some way? Right. Like that's that's how we sort of process when we learn new information and how it becomes part of our knowledge base. Like we either accept the information and we synthesize it by by addressing how it fits in with the information they already know, or we reject it because it doesn't fit. And the people who can grow and become, you know, better people are the ones who accept more information and they're they're plastic in their thinking, meaning uh, they're flexible in their thinking. Um because their their process of synthesis works really well. But yeah, if you're just regurgitating, that hues closer to plagiarism. I've seen papers, and I, and I guess maybe it bears taking a moment to sort of define plagiarism a little bit, because maybe I got ahead of myself earlier, but um, there's a lot of different ways you can plagiarize. There's sort of like you quote somebody and then you don't cite it, right? There's no quotation marks. You've basically just stolen someone else's language word for word and not changed anything. And I think it's what most students think of when they think of plagiarism. 
Um, then there's like paraphrasing where you change enough of the language. It's not word for word, but it's still somebody else's idea. And again, I feel like that's a pretty common instance of plagiarism um, that students are familiar with. But what about things like holy quotables um, where a predominant portion of the paper is quoted material? And I see this. I call them like patchwork essays where the student has done their due diligence Everything has been cited. It's on the work cited page. But like most of every, like the majority of the language in every single paragraph is quoted from somebody else. There's like a lead in sentence and maybe a transitional sentence and then maybe like a lead out or a conclusion sentence in the paragraph. But everything in between is somebody else's language. And so when you get down to it, like maybe 20% of the total paper is, is the student's own writing. I'm like, well, that's kind of plagiarism too. Like, there isn't an original idea in here anywhere. Any original language that you added was simply connective tissue, a way to get the reader from one quote to the next. That's not a really coherent argument. And, and while I don't necessarily treat it as plagiarism as such, if you go to like Turnitin's website, they're 100% like, yes, that is plagiarism because this paper doesn't have an original idea in it, right? It's a hostage situation. It's a bunch of other people's ideas held together at gunpoint. Um, well, and it goes so, back to my analogy of the discussion where it's like, if you walked into a group of people talking about something and you literally repeat the story that one other person told and then repeat the story that someone else just said, like, are you contributing to that conversation? No. And everyone's going to look at you like you're slightly crazy. <laughs> Maybe not invite you to that party anymore. <laughs> so it's about, yeah, you need to be able to say, I'm informed by these opinions. Here's my original thought. Um, and like you said, if it's just kind of the patchwork, that's when it's, you know, what, what's your purpose? Yeah, those holy quoted papers don't really have a clear purpose either, right? They're trying to like check a box. Oh, the teacher said I had to use five sources and I had to, it had to be eight pages long and it had to be about this topic. So yeah, I checked all the boxes. I'm like, but it's not your essay. It's, it's these 10 other authors essay. <laughs> they should get royalties on this. That makes me think of chat GPT. I don't know if we're ready to go there, but I feel like it's, to me, it's connected in the sense of chat GPT, the writing generated from it is considered plagiarism of some sort. So maybe we should talk about why that is. Yeah. Is let's originality? <laughs> maybe <laughs> something to do with that. Let's do Why that. Is Why is that candle? We'll, we'll get to it. Yeah. Oh. Um, it is the hot topic right now. Um, we do have a future episode planned to talk specifically about GTPT, but I think in, I can't even say it. Chat. You know what? AI generated text. There we go. Nailed it. Um, to be generic about it, let's not make it the, the Xerox of AI generated text. Um, so AI generated text is plagiarism because synthesis doesn't happen. At least this that's my opinion. Synthesis doesn't happen. And I feel like that is the sort of the the argument that proponents and detractors sort of are are kind of dancing around right now, which is if you describe how AI or machine learning functions, you say, well, you feed it a bunch of of documents that are all written in different styles for different audiences and different purposes, and it and it quote unquote reads them and learns from them. And then you ask it to write a thing and it and it writes in that style. And someone goes, yeah, but isn't that what we ask students to do? And, and on a very sort of like non-specific general level, 
yes, we ask students to read a bunch of stuff and then to write a paper based on that information given, right? But the difference is synthesis. The the machine learning doesn't have doesn't necessarily have a pre-existing cognitive schema. It doesn't have a knowledge base. It develops one um, simply by aggregating text and looking at things like frequency of words, syntax, average sentence length, average length of words. Um, it's looking at sort of like these mechanical elements that a machine can sort of quantify and then ascribing those like attributes. Okay, so the papers that have short words short sentences and simple syntax are probably written for this audience because those are the characteristics we expect to see. Um, texts that have like specialized vocabulary, long words, complicated syntax, it's for this kind of audience. And then the subject is really just kind of like this thin veneer that it sort of puts over a template to sort of check the last box, which is write me an essay about racism. Okay, well, I'm going to put the word racism here in key spots, but I'm basically going to sort of um, match this template. Um, and, and ideally if, if students are applying critical reading and critical thinking and they're using synthesis, that's not what they're doing. When we ask them to write a paper about racism, we say, go out and read about racism, go read about these different perspectives. Think about how those perspectives either reinforce or challenge your preconceived notions about racism and then write me a paper. Right. And that process is about the writer growing as an individual by increasing their knowledge base and their experience in text and then demonstrating that through the writing, right? And that writing is like their personal, authentic expression. No one else can write that paper. A computer can't write that paper because the other people in the computer isn't them. And that's where we get into things like author's intent and purpose. AI-generated text doesn't have intent. It's literally just checking a bunch of boxes, right? It's it's a very mechanical process. I feel like there's a little tiny gnome that's just like turning a crank in a steam-powered factory somewhere. Like crank out these essays and they're calling it machine learning poor little gnome just like cranking away um so yeah i that's that's why i think it's plagiarism it's not adding to the conversation it's mimicry it's that guy walking into like the 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 group at a party and hearing a couple of stories and then telling a third story that's really just a weird amalgamation of the first two but louder and in a funny voice so everybody laughs It made me think too of this idea that ultimately AI generated text feels like from the instructor perspective is cutting corners, right? Like, so you basically did not have to think, um, which is the one thing that I'm like, please, like, and you, you also mentioned increased knowledge base, which obviously these are, these are goals of learning of college, you know, of being here, you know, of joining that conversation. So it's like those things are absent plus creativity, which I, we've talked about this in other episodes. It's like academic writing does not feel creative per se, but it is right. Like it is in that way. So all of those things are missing, which yeah. Yeah. I'm going to throw out my, my favorite word with regards to AI generated text, simulacrum kids go out there and Google it. Here's a French philosopher, Jean Baudrillard. Read his book, Simulations and Simulacra. It's going to blow your mind. Um, it's going to make you question your very existence. Maybe even feel a little ennui. Um, so we're at a little bit over 20 minutes. I, I 
I feel like there's more to be said about this. Um, but I feel like in maybe other episodes we can, you know, we're definitely going to focus in on on AI generated text in a future episode. Um, we can maybe take another crack at that diving in on on using the sources ethically. I mean, the simplest answer with using sources ethically is know who your source is, and then use whatever citation style that you're being asked to use by your instructor and and making sure that you cite your sources. And then my response to most students when they go, well, how do I know? I'm like, if you're in doubt, just cite it. Like that's the sort of the most, it's the easiest response to that question. Um, we kind of got off into a, an area I think it's worth discussing, uh, especially for students, but which is, you know, why do we do this process? And then what does it mean to sort of understand like the credibility of our sources and why we're including them? Um, why we want to use them ethically right why do we want to source like cite them so people don't think you're a thief and and we'll, we'll, we'll entertain your ideas ultimately so before we wrap it up uh as always i'm going to throw it to my my co-host and ask is there is there anything else that you you want to offer our listeners before we wrap this one up this the, the stunned shocked no, I think I actually was going to say, well, the reason why I'm stumped is because you took what I was going to say as my final thought, which is uh, when in doubt, cite it. So I'm going to cite Bill as <laughs> the original person person to quote that. No, um, because ever since I remember getting that advice uh, when I was an undergrad and it was probably one of the most useful things I figured out, you know, so I think that's important. Uh, just to, to stir the pot. It is possible to plagiarize yourself. Uh, if you use a paper or information that you wrote for a different class, for a different purpose, for a different instructor, and then try and pass that off as a new idea in a different course for which it was not intended, most universities, colleges, uh, that is considered plagiarism. You can get around that by citing yourself. Yes, you can do that. It is allowed. Even if it's not widely published, you can cite yourself. I did that in grad school. Uh, because my master's thesis was based on a paper I wrote for an actual like course. Um, and so some of those ideas that I just I just kind of brought them over largely unedited as a as a base. And so I cited myself like, hey, refer to this, you know, 603 paper written by me because I'm the guy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's there's again. It's the simplest fix. You don't want to get accused of plagiarizing. Cite your sources. Well, and it reminds me of another episode where we talked um, a little bit about kind of the, you know, classes kind of overlapping. And if there is something that you feel like relates that you did right before and that you want to kind of recognize or bring into the conversation in your other class, ask your teacher, you know, <laughs> uh, self-plagiarism isn't necessarily, you know, or well, plagiarism is a bad thing, but <laughs> if you are building on your own ideas too, that's something that instructors would be excited to, to know that you're even making connections, you know, um, to thoughts that you had a year ago or in another class, you know, so, so kind of be open to that too. Again, it's more just about, like we're kind of saying, just the ethical use of it, you know, are you using it with the right intent, I think is what it comes down to. Ultimately, too, if you wrote it a semester ago, a year ago, two years ago, you've changed as a writer. So revise, please. You know, so that's the other piece where it's like, yeah, you should ask, you know, you should say, okay, I've already written on this. Can I work through it? Like and revise, you know, and so generally I'm, you know, most instructors are okay with that. So. 
Yeah, I think I would be over the moon if a student came to me and said, hey, I had this idea in another course and I'm trying to develop it here and essentially using my class as almost like a workshop. I'd be ecstatic because um, that means they care about the process, right? And they're invested in the idea and they want to go further with it. Um, it shows an attention to writing as a process. And that's always my goal, right? Writing as a process, not as a product. Um, and that I feel like we should have a whole discussion about that in the future as well. Writing as a process, not as a product. Um, okay, I think that'll do it for this week's episode. Uh, I want to thank Jeanette and Carrie for joining me again this week and having a discussion about plagiarism, even though I kind of, uh, I asked some really hard questions this week. <laughs> I asked some really hard questions. That was, that was on you. That was nearly your fault. <laughs> One, now I'm starting to, I'm starting to understand my students' reaction when I ask questions in class. I didn't realize that, um, I was asking a lot of them. Maybe you should have done. You should have done that technique. Oh yeah, you in the room. Yeah. Great. No, no, no. So calm down. Calm down. One at a time. One at a time. Not all at once. <laughs> Just direct attention. All right. So that'll do it for this week's episode of Rightfully So. Uh, we hope you'll come back and join us on other episodes. We have uh, this is like I said at the beginning. This is our fourth season. There's plenty of uh, other episodes already up on the site for you to take a listen to, covering a variety of topics. We hope you take time if this is your first episode with us, to go back and take a listen to some of those other episodes. And until then, get out there and write something. <laughs>